A warm welcome, as always, to First Move. I'm Julia Chatterley coming to you live once again from Davos in Switzerland and the World Economic Forum. Today's show, scaling mountainous new heights. Let's call it an alpine peace de resistance as we discuss the ongoing quest for global energy security without compromising sustainability. That's the key. And China's reopening in hopes for Asian market profitability. Also the rise of artificial intelligence chat ability. One of the uh, important issues being discussed at this year's Davos is the rise and quick adoption of sophisticated AI search and information tools like the chat GPT bot developed by the firm OpenAI and their power, of course, too, to change society. This is one chat Ali who's both excited but also concerned about the ethics of all of this as well. Of course, a little bit about being replaced perhaps one day soon. The rise of AI and society's reply, just one of a number of tech trends. We'll be discussing this hour with Brad Smith, the president of Microsoft. His company was an early investor in OpenAI and is reportedly in talks to up its stake. Now, amidst the futuristic fanfare, tech is going through a painful post-lockdown adjustment too. Microsoft, just one of many of the growing numbers of firms across the sector, announcing sweeping layoffs this year. Microsoft warning that customers are pulling back spending amidst the recession fears we've all been talking about so much here this week in Davos. Short-term spending cuts, however, cannot be a reason to slide on those climate promises. Greta Thunberg and other young climate activists in Davos today had big oil firmly in their sights, blasting the international community too for not doing more to cut fossil fuel usage during a panel discussion with Fatih Birol, the head of the International Energy Agency, and he will be joining us shortly to discuss that and more. And another key theme to China and the investment opportunities tied to its big post-lockdown, quote, reopening. Chinese-listed firms having a great 2023 so far, with the Hang Seng up almost 10%. I'll be discussing what's ahead for the investment in the region with the CEO of the Hong Kong Stock Exchange operator, HKEX. And here's the global picture now. Weakness across the board. The European Central Bank head, Christine Lagarde, in Davos today too, adding her voice to those who believe the economic trends across Europe in particular are improving overall. Though, of course, the wild card remains energy prices and the devastating war in Ukraine. And that's where we begin today's show. The United States is set to finalize a $2.5 billion military aid package to Ukraine, sources tell CNN. For the first time, it will include a shipment of striker combat vehicles. What it won't contain, however, are the tanks or long-range missiles Kiev has been desperately asking for. Instead, the pressure is on Germany to provide tanks, with its Leopard battle tanks being seen as the most suitable option. I would like to thank again for the assistance to our partners, but at the same time, there are times where we shouldn't hesitate or we shouldn't compare when someone says, I will give tanks if someone else will also share his tanks. I'm uh, strong in Europe and I can share if someone outside of, of Europe will contribute as well. I don't think this is the right strategy to go with. Aaron Lieberman is at the Pentagon for us. Aaron, what more do we know? And I think we have to make the point that the equipment that they're not receiving requires maintenance. It requires detailed training. So while I'm sure they will be grateful to receive this package, it's also going to be laced with some degree of disappointment. And it raises pressure once again on the Germans. 
Absolutely, a lot of pressure on the Germans, and it's interesting that U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, who was just in Berlin with his uh, senior defense officials, who said that Austin is optimistic they'd be able to work out some sort of agreement or arrangement with Germany that would allow Germany not necessarily to send its own Leopard tanks, but to allow the or to provide approval for other countries who have signaled they want to send their German-made Leopard tanks to Ukraine. For example, Poland and Finland have both said they're ready. But they need that German sign-off. The question is, what sort of pressure can Austin and others put on Germany to give the sign-off that would give Ukraine the tanks they've been asking for for so long? Meanwhile, as that's happening, the U.S. is set to approve an approximately $2.5 billion Ukraine security package. That would make it the second largest package. And it's worth noting that the three largest packages, $3 billion announced just a few weeks ago, $2 billion or just under $2 billion right before Christmas, and this one have all come within the last months. It is a sign of ongoing U.S. support long term here with equipment and weaponry that's getting heavier and more powerful. As you pointed out, striker combat vehicles, those are armored vehicles designed to carry infantry across a battlefield. Those are supposed to work in conjunction with the, uh, the Bradley fighting vehicles that were announced just a few weeks ago. So you see that Ukraine may not be getting the long-range missiles they've been asking for or tanks from the U.S., but they are certainly getting heavier, more powerful weaponry, additional training from the U.S., Patriot missiles batteries, not only from the U.S., but also from uh, Germany and the Netherlands all in anticipation of a fight that will continue here. The U.S. is committed to this for the long term, and that's what they're showing here. Ari Lieberman there. Thank you so much for that update there. Now on to a shock resignation from one of the world's best-known leaders. New Zealand's Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern says she's stepping down in just a few weeks from now. In a powerful statement, the widely celebrated Prime Minister said she no longer has the energy to lead the government. I know what this job takes, and I know that I no longer have enough in the tank to do it justice. It's that simple. I know there will be much discussion in the aftermath of this decision as to what the so-called real reason was. I can tell you that what I'm sharing today is it. The only interesting angle that you will find is that after going on six years of some big challenges, I am human. Politicians are human. We give all that we can for as long as we can, and then it's time. And for me, it's time. Ivan Watson has more on what all this now means. Ivan, I think everybody listening to that will feel great sympathy above everything else. She seemed incredibly emotional there, holding it back, honest huge challenges that she's faced like all leaders I think over the past few years and also to have the strength to say I can't do it anymore. Yeah and it's definitely stunned members of her own party, uh, uh, fellow lawmakers, they were not expecting this. Uh, Last year uh, Prime Minister Ardern had been saying that she would run for re-election. In her uh, emotional statement she did say that she had thought about this over the Christmas holidays and had come to this conclusion that this was not the time for her. Uh, So she's stepping down. It leaves her party in a bit of a lurch for elections which are now scheduled to take place 
in October because she is the biggest star of her party, and and she and the party are uh, sagging in the polls, have been for some time now, and that also may have contributed to this decision. Uh, you know, that's some of the analysis that we're hearing uh, from people who watch politics uh, in New Zealand. Yes, she's been through some uh, huge hurdles. I mean, I remember personally covering the Christchurch uh, terrorist massacre of 2019 when a when a uh, a racist attacked uh, two mosques in Christchurch and killed more than 50 people. Uh, and she stepped in and helped heal her country uh, and also pass uh, uh, restrictions on on firearms in, in very quick time. Uh, and then going through the the COVID-19 pandemic. But it is some of those measures, uh, certainly linked to, to COVID, that uh, have uh, hit her politically at home. And you sense kind of polarization about even Ardern in this small country. Take a listen to what some uh, New Zealanders had to say about her resignation. I think she was an excellent leader and I'm devastated that she's going, she's resigning. As a business owner, this is a wonderful day. Um, the restrictions and the extra compliance and the extra tax of business that has happened, and especially staffing levels up with us, no immigrants, has we've left us all short, all stressed out. She was awesome. She did everything she could during the pandemic, kept a lot of people safe. Um, yeah, I think she's going to have a great legacy. I want to direct you to a statement uh, issued by Helen Clark. She's a former prime minister of New Zealand uh, who also came from the Labour Party. Uh, And in addition to congratulating uh, Ardern's record, she did say this, quote, the pressures on prime ministers are always great, but in this area of social media clickbait and 24-7 media cycles, Jacinda has faced a level of hatred and vitriol, which in my experience is unprecedented in our country. And she's urging uh, society there to reflect on this. Uh, In her kind of closing remarks, uh, Ardern uh, spoke about her family, which she said had sacrificed the most. Uh, Recall that she gave birth to a daughter uh, as prime minister. That hasn't happened, I believe, in some 30 years prior to that for a sitting head of state to do that. Uh, And she said that she's looking forward to to being able to take her daughter to school and to finally marry her longtime partner uh, and the father of her daughter. Julia? And congratulations to her and them on that. Ivan Watson, thank you so much. Okay, straight ahead here on First Move, the man with a plan to tackle climate change. The head of the International Energy Agency, Fatih Birol, joins me after the break. Plus. We in the tech industry will also have to get efficient, right? It's not about everyone else doing more with less. We will have to do more with less. Microsoft joining other tech giants, scaling back some of those pandemic-era job expansions. We'll discuss that, climate change and AI, and more with President Brad Smith. That's up next to you. Stay with us. Welcome back to First Move. The magic word is investment. That was the takeaway from the executive director of the International Energy Agency debating the climate crisis on a panel earlier today here in Davos. As you would expect, the environmental emergency is at the heart of all the discussions really this year, with the United Nations Secretary General calling for global accountability. Some in big oil peddled the big lie. And like the tobacco industry, 
those responsible must be held to account. Today, fossil fuel producers and their enablers are still racing to expand production, knowing full well that this business model is inconsistent with human survival. However, Greta Thunberg said it was absurd to expect solutions from the kind of people on the Davos guest list. I think that right now the changes that we need are not um, very likely to come from from the inside. Rather, I believe they will come from from the bottom up, so to speak, um, because without public pressure, without massive public pressure from the outside, at least in my experience, and um, these people are going to go as far, far as they possibly can. As long as they can get away with it, they will continue to invest in fossil fuels. They will continue to, to throw people under the bus for their own gain. Also, also on that panel, Fatih Birol, the executive director of the International Energy Agency. Sir, it is always a pleasure to speak to you. Great to speak to you in person. Um, that was a tough panel because that was the ultimate combination of practicalities, politics, and passion from activists. And, and that's right, but I believe uh, we have to talk, yeah. engage with the yard activists. And uh, I believe the climate change challenge is so complex, so huge, that we need to build a, a coalition, a grand coalition, if I may say. So governments, industry, civil society, those who genuinely, I underline genuinely here, mm. who genuinely uh, want to tackle climate change. So it is the reason I accepted their invitation and had a dialogue with them. I had one of those activists on a panel yesterday and they're pretty uncompromising though. There's, there's no reasoning with them, um, which is also part of the challenge too. But, but in a way, you've presented what's possible and what we can do. And there is a meet in the middle here and you've said it. Investment's the magic word. Um, Secretary John Kerry said money, money, money. And, and you said if we can take renewable energy investment from $1 trillion to $4 trillion by by 2030, we can wipe out all that additional exactly. investment. It can be done. Yes, it can be done. In fact, today uh, we have about $1.4 trillion, uh, the clean energy investment. And that's uh, a big jump, by the way, in the jump. past you year. You are completely right, big jump. You read our papers very well. Thank you very much for that. Word for word. Thank you very much. <laughs> and with current policies, it's 1.4 in 2030 will be $2 trillion. Yeah, it's just and nothing. Which is nothing. And if you want to be in line with our climate goals, you need to go from two to four trillion. All clean energy, it is the wind, solar, hydrogen, electric cars, uh, nuclear power. If we do that, then we don't need to build new coal, oil, and gas uh, deposits. So uh, the problem is not with energy. The problem is with emissions. Yeah, and that's also points to the oil and gas sector as well. And, and I spoke to the Occidental CEO on a panel as well this week, and she was saying, look, that's exactly what we're targeting emissions and we have to bring those down too and, and they are working on ways to do it. Um, I had a bit of a hallelujah moment and I want to check whether I'm just getting overexcited. Um, I've spoken to the head of the IMF this week, the United Nations Secretary General, also Secretary Kerry, and he was talking on behalf of President Biden when he said both the IMF and the World Bank seem to be on board with a business model change, accepting some risk as shareholders and with that potential loss in order to leverage money, make it more, bring in the private sector push cash to projects, whether it's here in the, the West or in the richer nations or in the developing nations. Is that the game changer we need? I, uh, Julia, uh, I am even more passionate than you. I can tell you, going from $2 trillion to $4 trillion, 
it is not a problem. We have the capital, there is the money around the world. But bulk of this jump needs to be in the developing and emerging right. countries where there's a lot of risk for investment. So what needs to be done? The intangible financial institutions, such as the ones uh, you mentioned, in my view, uh, didn't uh, make a good job uh, until uh, recently. And it is time for them to uh, ramp up their efforts and bring the uh, clean energy financing top of their agenda and help through de-risking measures for concessional fund, uh, funds uh, in order to help those countries. Secretary Kerry promised me the spring meetings of the IMF and the World Bank and the IMF chief said, look, don't worry, we're already on it, so uh, we're going to hold them accountable. One of the other things that jumped out to me in your latest report, um, only 25% have announced manufacturing products for solar are under construction or beginning imminently, 35% for EV batteries, less than 10% for electrolyzers. Do those percentages now rise? Because the, the plans are there, it's yeah. again about kick-starting it. Exactly. There's a lot of plan. There's a lot of uh, projects, project pipeline. And we have the technology. And, and we, we have the technology. Money. It just needs to meet with uh, capital. Okay. And mainly in the, again, emerging countries. I believe money and the clean energy projects in Europe, in North America will meet. But how are we going to make sure that the, uh, the clean energy projects in Indonesia, in Asia, Latin America, Africa uh, will find the uh, capital. This is the issue because it is important for also for the advanced economies because one ton of CO2 going to atmosphere from Jakarta or from Detroit or from Zurich or from also it has the same effect on everybody. Yeah. Even in the United States, the emissions will come to zero. They will not be immune to the effects of the climate change. Yeah, well, we're seeing that every day. We have to own up to it too to a greater extent. Um, fast forward, or actually rewind, today, you've warned you're concerned about the possibility of rising energy prices again for, for a couple of reasons. One, we know supply from Russia and, and the uncertainty around that. Also, the concern, good news and bad news in this, China reopening exactly. and what them sucking up demand exactly. for energies means. Yeah, yeah. This, is, this is very important. I think a bit uh, overlooked uh, because China's oil and gas consumption domestic mm. for the first time in 40 years last year decline in 2022 oil and gas consumption decline for the first time since 40 years wow. and now with the opening up it, it will go up getting stronger and uh, which means that china will import uh, more oil more lng which further put uh, upward pressure on the prices unless in terms of oil, the oil producers uh, uh, would uh, uh, make some steps to comfort the markets. How much higher are we talking in terms of pri potential price rises? I think we may gas? see today we are uh, the uh, uh, numbers are about eighty dollars. We may see significantly higher than this, depending on the level of uh, uh, recovery in uh, Chinese economy. Above a hundred again? Uh, I, I hope not, because the global economy, as we all know, is in many countries flirting Slowly. with recession. Recession, even so, therefore, uh, I hope we will not see those prices. It's in, in the also in the hands of the producing countries whether or not they will comfort the markets. You know, the catch 22 here is, is that there's concern about China ramping up coal use. And again, I asked Secretary Kerry when he's going to cut the deal with the United States to try and limit that, and he said he's working on it. But um, that aside, if they did do that, that sort of creates more upward pressure for. LNG and for the oil that they import. So we're in this sort of climate, sustainability, energy requirement catch-22. China has coal, but I think uh, we shouldn't forget that today, mm -hmm. China is at the same time, at the same time number one in solar, oh, number one in wind, number one in uh, electric cars. 
Half of the electric cars sold in the world today is in China. Other half, everybody put I'm together. I'm not criticizing that, but actually that's a great point too, very quickly. Are we stacking up supply chain challenges for the future, perhaps? The concentration of it, is, China, Bolivia, Argentina. I mean, you've got the formation perhaps of a no. OPEC plus equivalent in some of these nations because of their the mineral and metal demand. Exactly, yeah. I mean, we talk about energy transition. Energy transition uh, means uh, industrial transition. The uh, the next age of the industry uh, will be clean energy technology manufacturing, and China has a dominant position in batteries, in solar, in wind, electrolyzers, and everything. So better uh, the rest of the world uh, diversify it in order to have a secure supply of uh, these important technologies. Okay. I've taken us down a darker path there, but I want to end on on a positive note very quickly. We're glass half full, I think, here. There is a rise in investment. Exactly. There's a lot of passion exactly. here. We heard it from the young people, and I think we owe them a better planet. Yes, from young people and from less young people as well. You <laughs> yes, exactly. Thank you very much. <laughs> no, I thought about myself, young fancy. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> she said, actually, Helena was on your panel. She said at the end of mine, I'm the only person who was born in the 21st century here. And we all went, you're right. <laughs> thank you. Okay, thank you, Gina. Thank you, bye-bye. Bye, Beryl, there. Okay, we're going to take a break. Coming up, a bridge. We hope it's a bridge between global investors and China the head of the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. And more talks to me about China's reopening and the opportunities that will bring. That's next. Welcome back to the World Economic Forum here in Davos, Switzerland. One of the biggest themes once again this year, China. This time... China's reopening. Earlier this week, the country's vice premier, Liu, made a passionate appeal for foreign investment after Beijing's sharp U-turn, we can call it that, from its zero COVID policy. We must always promote all-round opening up. Opening up as a basic state policy is a catalyst of reform and development in China and a key driver of economic progress. China's door to the outside world will only open wider. Meanwhile, Hong Kong will scrap quarantine requirements for people infected with COVID starting from January 30th. This all fuels optimism across global markets too. The Hong Kong Stock Exchange is trying to build more bridges to connect international investors with China and much more. Joining us now is Nicolas Aguzin. He's the CEO of Hong Kong Exchanges and Clearing. Not bad. We were checking the phone. Well. Yeah, Thank I did you. a good Thank job. You, Welcome. <laughs> and good to see you. You know what? I can only imagine your phone. What happened after that speech of uh, Vice Premier Liu He and people saying, reform, development, reopening, no mention of COVID. What's going on and what are you hearing from businesses in particular? Well, actually, a lot of the things that were mentioned in that speech are things that over the last you know, few months have been repeated. I mean, we had the Central Economic Workforce Conference in December and the focus around development, around making sure that we, the economy restarts. I, I think that the, um, this reopening of China after the restrictions that we've seen over the last few years, I mean, it's going to be probably the most significant event for global markets. 
for the most part, positive event for global markets in 2023. Yeah, a lot of the companies that I speak to that either had or do invest in China, we're using the word uninvestable, mm-hmm. basically uninvestable yeah. over the last couple of years in particular, for many reasons, the travel being one of them, mm-hmm. but for other reasons. And I think you understand that better mm-hmm. than most, mm-hmm. particularly mm-hmm. with what we've seen in, in the tech sector, mm-hmm. with concerns over the property sector. Mm-hmm. What's the word on the street now? Because I can tell you the word on the street here in Davos is that, that calls have been made, firms have been told, we're backing off, get on with it, help growth. Is that yeah, there, true? There, there, there's a lot of um, investment that started to come back. Mm-hmm. And we've seen some of these issues being addressed, some comments about the rectifications of the platform economies being getting to the end of the, that, that period, process. that process. I mean, so there's a lot of signaling development is important. We've seen measures addressing real estate issues. So when we go one by one, things have been, you know, being checked off. And in addition to that, you have an environment where international investors are saying, well, maybe this is a good time to start coming in and entering the market. And we've seen significant flows. I was going to say, we did that in the introduction to the show as well. Talk to me what you've seen even just in the short term, the last couple of months. I mean, essentially in in the first 15 days of, of the month, I mean, not several months, but just the first 15 days, days, we've seen more than all of last year combined in terms of inflows into the mainland. 15 days outweighing an entire year. Correct. Do you think that's sustainable? Well, I mean, I think that right now there's there's still a lot of flows that need to go both ways. One of the important things, and this is not just about attracting capital one way, there's also been an announcement made that is like a breakthrough announcement, which is essentially that international companies that come to listing Hong Kong will be available from onshore investors to invest in those companies. So essentially, retail investors, mainland investors are going to be able to invest in companies, international companies that come and look for capital in Hong Kong which is a little bit of a different thing. I mean, in the sense that we have two-way flows. The, the returns are luring. Right, right, right. People I mean, are nervous. How, so, how do you convince them that we're not going to do another U-turn, things aren't going to deteriorate? Yeah. I mean, we, we recognise the situation, people recognise the situation where it's almost a case of not having a choice because growth has been weakened so badly. Mm-hmm. And the data that we, we see, at least, mm-hmm. we can see that. So there's a necessity going on here. Yeah. There's, is it going to continue? Yeah. There's been a significant amount of underspending over the last two years. There's a lot of excess savings Ooh. that there are in the system. You're talking about consumers in yeah, China. Consumers in China, about $2 trillion, US dollars over the last two years of excess savings that are ready to be put back to work into the market. So that'll create a lot of demand. It'll be attractive for international companies that want to take advantage of that consumer demand in China it'll create a lot of like good flows both ways. It's interesting because the comparison with the United States here actually mm-hmm. is very similar. We had a similar kind of sum in the United Absolutely. States. Consumers have spent around half and it's provided a, a cushion to the economy that we've seen. However, there's a cultural difference here, surely. The, the Chinese people, there's a lack of welfare state. They're, they're starting, obviously, to build that. But surely people are going to be far more cautious. And even for younger people, if they're a little bit more able or willing to spend, the unemployment rate is, is pretty high. I speak to graduates that couldn't get a job in the last couple of years. Is it going to take a bit more time yeah. than, than the optimism perhaps suggests? We've seen a little bit of this after 2020. Remember at the beginning of, of the crisis, of the yeah. COVID crisis, immediately after that initial stage, there was quite a bit of a rebound. So we went to a little over 8% growth in GDP the year after. 
I mean, there may be a similar factor being playing here in the sense that all these excess savings will come back into the market. So, so we, we, we feel you know, fairly confident that this is now a, a cycle where you're going to see increasingly positive fundamentals moving forward. Talk to me about the pipeline for companies as well, looking to IPO. I do feel like, and financial, and you don't have to use names, but I do feel like that was a marker point. So the moment I see their name pop up as willing to IPO, and I know they've said in recent days, no intention at the moment, but I do feel like starting to see this too will be a marker. We're starting to see a lot of movement. Actually, the second half of 2022, Mm. we saw four times more IPOs than the first half. So four times. And when we look at December, 20, 21 IPOs just in December. And, all, and we had approximately 10 in just like the first few days of January. So very active, 90 IPOs in the, in the whole year. And that was a tough year. So we're seeing the activity in IPOs coming back. We have about, about 100 companies right now that have filed for their IPO. Mm. So man, that's a healthy number. So we feel pretty good about the types of companies that are looking for capital. So funny, when we had the conversation three years ago, the last time we were together, I said to you, you have a tough job on your hands, my friend, and we had no idea. Um, I'm looking forward to chatting again next year. Thank you so much for your time. Great to chat. Nicholas Agusen, the CEO of the Hong Kong Exchanges and Clearing. Still got it. Thank you. Thank you. Coming up after the break, we have the president of Microsoft, his thoughts. After the CEO of the company, Satya Nadella, warns even a company as big as Microsoft is exposed to global headwinds. That next. Welcome back to First Move. The U.S. debt ceiling dilemma is one of the topics of discussion here in Davos. Washington set to hit its self-imposed $31 trillion debt ceiling today. A reminder of the political battle set to take place later this year when the Treasury runs out of emergency options to pay the bills and prevent a default. The fight to raise the debt ceiling in Congress, just one of the issues also weighing perhaps on U.S. equity stock falling for a third straight session as new U.S. data points to a weakening U.S. economy. A bit of caution too as tech earnings season gets underway with Netflix results on deck. In the meantime, fans of the musical Wicked know a thing or two about defying gravity. And those are the words chosen by the CEO of Microsoft when talking about economic growth governed by inflation and a weakening economy. Context is everything here. Just take a listen. At the end of the day, all of us are governed by what is happening in the world, inflation adjusted in terms of economic growth. So because no one can sort of defy gravity, uh, and the gravity here is inflation adjusted economic growth. And I would say all up in the world, the inflation-adjusted economic growth has been pretty weak. Um, And one of the things that I'm optimistic is digital technology can help boost it. Things like artificial intelligence can help boost it. That said, in the tech industry, we grow multiple times GDP. 
The Microsoft chief there emphasizing, like others in the sector, they're not immune from the forces of economic slowdown, having announced job cuts on Wednesday. And it amplifies, too, a chorus of voices questioning the existing high growth model and valuations in the future. Brad Smith is president and vice chair of Microsoft, and he joins us now. Always a pleasure to have you on nice the show. I have too much to discuss with you. So let's talk about some of the tougher topics. Um, losing people, losing jobs is never easy. Just put that in context because I think it does echo a lot of the conversations that are being had about that high growth model, about the valuations that we've seen. Where next for tech? Well, first of all, I think it's always important to acknowledge what you just said. We all have friends and colleagues. Yeah. It's always a hard day when people lose their job. As Satya has been saying, as we've been talking with our employees, it's really about doing two things simultaneously. The first is to adapt to the short term. Turns out that gravity applies to everyone. We've got to get costs and revenue in alignment. And at the same time, pivot for the next long-term opportunity, which in our view is clearly the AI inflection point we're all at in 2023. We've got to do all of this simultaneously. Yeah, and you have to make decisions for the next five to 10 years in the short term, even as you're adjusting to economic conditions as well. Um, you said the magic word there, which was AI. We have to talk about chat GPT, which for everybody out there is sort of an AI-driven chat bot. When the hype around this started, I got 10 people sent it to me like, try it, try it, try it. And I, I tried it and I was like, guys, where have you been for the last five? I mean, we've got you know, AI solving drug challenges and all sorts of things. Um, but you're an investor. Talk to me about what it means for Microsoft. Well, I think this is tremendously important for the future. This is easily one of the major technology trends for the next decade. And it's a little like 2007 when the iPhone burst onto the scene. Smartphones were around. People forget Microsoft was the early leader. It was a change in the interface, the touch UI. All of a sudden, everybody said, oh my gosh, now we're in a new mobile era. You know, fundamentally, what we're seeing with the OpenAI models, with the partnership and relationship between OpenAI and Microsoft, is a way for everyone to start to harness the power of AI. Really, to think more critically, to learn about what's happening in the world, and to pursue more creative expression, to get help, assistance, advice in what we want to do, what we want to communicate with others around the world. There's a rumor out there that you want to um, take a bigger slice of the pie and take a bigger stake. Can you give me any information on that? I absolutely. We <laughs> never comment on rumors, oh, Julia. There was a moment there where I got excited. Yeah. Now, and it's most excitable, though, wait for it. I've seen it being described as a Google killer. Is that what it is, Brad? Revenge? No, the way oh. I would think about it, actually, is if you look at the world of the next generation of AI, think of it as these large language models, foundational models, they're called. I think there's three institutions that are collectively at the forefront of the world. One is OpenAI and its relationship with Microsoft. A second is DeepMind, which is now yeah. part of Google. And the third is the Beijing Artificial Intelligence Institute. And what we should all think about is that it's good to have competition. It will be good to have more competition, even in a field like search where it's been lacking. And it's good to have two institutions privately funded at the forefront of, say, the United States, Western Europe, competing with China. And it's going to be a very interesting set of years ahead. Does it get dangerous, the ethics of AI? You and I have talked about it before. As you mentioned, two private companies, a government one in China, the, the challenges, the military use, the ethical questions. You and I often talk about this sort of digital Geneva Convention idea and coming together on all these types of things. 
I'm worried. Well, from a Microsoft standpoint, I would say two things. First, we should be enthusiastic about the opportunity, but clear-eyed about all of the potential risks. And I see three priorities, real goals for us as a company as to how we approach this. First, ensure it's released and used responsibly and ethically. The second is to ensure that it really serves the international competitiveness and the national security of nations. And the third is really to try to ensure that it reaches and serves people broadly, that it helps create new jobs, we give people the skills, that it raises the economic opportunity in ways that we really have not seen fully since the tech era began. Definitely glass half full, and I agree with you on all the positives. I have my fingers crossed for the for the challenges here. I want to move on and talk about Ukraine because, again, we've talked about it in the past. You were the first instrumental in going into Ukraine and saying, how can we help mitigate the second war that's going on here? And it's not the kinetic, the physical war, it's the cyber threats. What can you tell me about what you're seeing today and what your biggest concerns are as we push through the year, whether that's in Ukraine or beyond? We're really focused on two things. I would say in terms of cyber attacks, the last 30 days have been quieter. There have been fewer Russian cyber attacks against Ukrainian targets. We'll see if that lasts or whether there's an effort to regroup and do something new. We need to be prepared for it all. And the second is on the influence operations, the propaganda. Right now, the Russian government, as we see it, is having to focus so many of its resources on the Russian population to try to sustain support that there's a little bit of a reprieve outside of Russia. But we should be ready for an expansion of all of this. Typically, when the spring comes, militaries wage offenses. We have to be ready for an offensive cyber war, offensive cyber influence activities, and that's part of what we are preparing for. It's tough to connect the dots on these things because it's always supposition, but I was wondering whether, to your point about the quieter period that we were going through, whether that sort of presented some sort of indication of a change in terms of the the kinetic war that's going on, but your point about the misinformation and actually focusing on sending a message at home to try and galvanise sentiment and support, that's interesting. When a war's not going well, the home front becomes even more significant in that way. Um, Can I just check the amount of money that that Microsoft has spent personally on this uh, $400 million through the end of 2023. That's yes, as of today, I guess it's the 19th of January, we have spent $436 million to provide financial support and technology aid to Ukraine. And I know you, all tell, you always tell me it's not about the money, but um, the point needs making. Um, let's talk about climate, yes. please, because this is our... This is one of our favorite subjects as well. I'm excited. I'm enthused, actually, from the conversations I've had here and and specifically about the need for more investment, the need for more money and conversations about institutions like the World Bank and the IMF changing their business models, allowing some risk to be taken, some loss to be taken and perhaps leveraging money. Am I too excited and enthusiastic? It feels like a shift. I do believe there is a shift underway, and it's really easy to come to Davos this year and you see the two sides of this. On the one hand, connecting with the war in Ukraine, people are saying Europe couldn't get through the winter without more reliance on fossil fuels. Perhaps we're going backwards. But more fundamentally, we are seeing a rewiring of the European economy, the economy more broadly, a, a real increase in investment in renewable energy as Europe unplugs from Russian gas. I think that bodes well for 2030, for 2025, even if in 2023 it feels more challenging. 
yeah, because the winter again for Europe and the lack of supply from Russia yep. and yeah, all for all the economic reasons as well. You know, it's funny you mentioned sort of the Paris targets for at least 2023, and that's to limit global warming to one and a half degrees on industrial times, and, and we're already hitting, we're getting very close. I asked the panel that I was on to show of hands of who thinks we will hit those targets, mm -hmm. and I counted six and a half people. One was hiding. It was actually seven and a half people in a, in a full room. Um, there's deep scepticism that we're doing enough. Is this a, do you feel like this is a pivot point with the, the jump in renewable investment that we've seen from poultry levels? It was 2% growth after Paris, 12% in the last year growth. Is this a turning point, or is it just war in its... I Short think, term. I think it is a bit of a turning point. I do okay. think that we should, frankly, be concerned, even pessimistic, that we'll be able to stop short of this 1.5 degrees centigrade increase. You think increase. We're, not, we're never going to do it? it. It's going to be hard. But on the other hand, even with all of the enormous challenges that we'll create, you see the forces coming together for longer-term progress. So we may find that the climate issues get harder before they get easier. And what we need to be is determined. And people always ask, is that glass half full? Is that glass half empty? I don't know, but there's definitely water in that glass, so we need to pour more into it. Some of it's cloudy, though. There is still a lot of green greenwashing <laughs> going on. It's definitely a green color. Yeah. A little um, more transparency. Yeah, more but precisely. Yeah. You know, does that mean calling out? Can I we think, name names? I don't know. I, I feel like well, I think it, it's, a, it's a little more your job than mine to name names, in all honesty. No, but but well. the reality is transparency <laughs> will serve the world well, especially on something like climate. Transparency is coming because the European Union has a new directive. It takes effect in a little less than 18 months. Thousands of organizations, mostly companies, but not only companies, are going to need to be reporting their climate emissions. That's going to give us all added incentive to do more and move faster. That's probably good for the world. I think it actually, it's absolutely good for the world. This sounds like a lot of red tape and box ticking and filling in, which I'm a little bit concerned about. But we'll reconvene on that because the Europeans are furious about the Inflation Reduction Act as well. And hopefully they'll step up a little bit more too. Yeah. Exciting times. Fred. Thank you. you are the Always best. good. Thank See you. you. Brad Smith, President of Microsoft. All right, after the break, a final thought on our final show from Davos here, what we've learned this week, and who better than to join me to discuss it than our very own Richard Quest. No one, that's the answer. He's up next. Welcome back to First Move, and on our final First move here from Davos and our team here worked around the clock to bring you some fascinating insights into the worlds of business, economics and politics. Plenty of highs, a few lows, mainly this cold and a total lack of sleep, but we're not complaining. Add to that, of course, plenty of worry about the world. Richard is here. Are you, you're wearing your gloves. I, can see I am wearing my gloves because, you know, I keep thinking about this. Why do we have to suddenly do this macho wiggle? It's cold out there. <laughs> it's, actually, it's actually snowing. I, I would I've also, got, look, look. I would also show you my, um, <laughs> oh, my oh, melongeons. Oh, good grief. There you are, you oh, see, thermals. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you know, you were with me last night on Crossmeets Business. Lift gone, I just do it for you. Were, you were with me on Crossmeets Business. Yes. Only you oh, sorry. could arrange a scenario <laughs> where I end up being heckled by the head of the WTO, um, Ngozi. Have a listen. These are just sort of emphasising things. The ticks are the ones that count. 
I want to circle. Also, why is climate crisis up there? Is that not one of my choices? She's clearly not been watching the programme this week or she'd know the answer to that question. <laughs> I, I know the answer, Julia. Go on. <laughs> Sorry, that happens, that's the Director General of He's the gonna World put you Trade in your Organization. Place. Okay. It's just because a, it matters to everyone. It matters really. to everybody. Because everyone would tick that. Exactly. Because so it's the about. right thing to say. Yes, yes. Okay. Okay. Well, you know I'm a Do warrior. I'm a warrior. Okay. I'm good all night. Okay. Okay. I'm, so I'm going to circle. What? Oh, too clever by half. <laughs> too clever by Wait, half. Wait, I'm also circling worry because I do worry about worry and stress too. <laughs> My face, that's so serious, wasn't I? Talk about take, give an inch and take a mile. I know, what did you say though? You said too clever by half. I know. Wasn't that a lovely know. thing to absolutely, say? Absolutely, absolutely. It's been a good Davos. Observations. It's yeah. been a good Davos. Not a down Davos, not a depressing Davos. A different Davos. A different Davos where serious issues have been discussed in a multiple of different rooms and fora and that makes it better. What do you think was the standout moment or the standout theme, I think? What was the hallelujah moment, actually? I used that, that term Well, earlier. That, probably Zelensky, of course, because yeah. of the circumstances. But I think really, for me, what really has been the big moment is, is just getting on with it. Yeah, They're the getting world, on with it. You're right, actually. Yeah, everybody's... You know, look, we, you, there's the big Congress centre over there, but down over there, there's something called the Ice Village with lots of little rooms that'll only fit 30-odd people in, and they're all discussing the biggest and best issues that they can. They'll never make it on first move. <laughs> oh, they, all questions business, all questions business. <laughs> but they are being talked about because this is the... The engine room, if yeah, you like. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. They will when they get bigger, too. And the ideas, the technology, the things that you learn yes. here that ordinarily yes. you wouldn't even know about. And the issues. It gets criticised, Davos, but... I do tend to walk away from this place with great hope for the future because a lot of things get discussed that we don't see. Do you know what we missed this year, though? And it is, of course, an anniversary. It's three years since Go we were on. last here, of course. The Snow Angels. Oh. Do you remember the Snow Angels? We did Snow Angels down there. We I did. Think we've got an, I think we've got a picture of it. Look, look, oh, look. Yeah. Ow, ow, he's all I can see. There was only one problem. Ow. Go on. Um, there's no snow. I mean, yes, of oh, course, there mean, is There is some mean, snow, wait, but wait, there's wait, no wait, real wait. snow. No, wait, 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 you mean you would have done it, you would have done Absolutely. it Absolutely. You liar. I, really? I, I don't know what you're suggesting, madam. <laughs> Would you really have done it again? On tonight's Quest Me Business, <laughs> Snow Angels. You're right, though. You know, you're right, there's not enough snow. So and that's say. part of the theme. That's part of the theme, isn't it? There isn't enough snow. And a reason to continue to tackle climate change. Ooh, oh, grande elegante. Too clever. I'll let you say goodbye. <laughs> Thank you, Richard. Don't stay, forget Quest Me's Business stay, in a few stay, hours. Stay, stay, right. From Richard and I, and he'll be back in a few hours' time. But that's it for First Move. We'll be back, but for now, I'll hand over to Connect the World. Thank you, Richard. Thank you. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.